Hello and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm your host, Sally Chung. We are on a break at the moment, creating an incredible season two for you. But we're interrupting that break because something really important is happening here in Kenya. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So a few weeks ago, I was on the BBC World Service talking about the work we do here. I actually started this project in 2006 to combat the lack of visibility of LGBT stories from the continent. What sort of stories have you been hearing? Oh, all kinds of stories. I mean, of course, there have been very difficult stories of family rejection. I did the interview and went into the office, and then the BBC put a link to the article on Facebook. The headline says, Working to make sure that Africa's LGBT community is remembered, Sally Chum records people's stories. And then, of course, the comments start to roll in. Stop promoting rubbish. We don't want any white man's curse in Africa. Africans are not gays or lesbians. There you go again, invading Africa with Western rubbish. We've got our own culture. They should accept that. We reject it completely. Eesh! We condemn and reject. This is white people's baseless culture, not Africans. This is something I hear, we hear at Afroqueer, over and over again. That homosexuality is un-African, that there were no gay people before Europeans came. And what's really frustrating is that it isn't even true. Pre-colonial Africa enjoyed rich and diverse sexualities. Dr. Sylvia Tamale is a writer and law professor at Makerere University in Uganda, where she specializes in gender and sexuality. There are some ancient, for example, ancient cave paintings, like those near Guruve in Zimbabwe, which suggest same-sex rituals or erotics. In northern Uganda, there is what we call the mudokodako, or effeminate males among the Langi, who were treated as women and could marry men, among the Ndebele, for example, and the Shona in Zimbabwe, the Azande in Sudan, and, and Congo, and the Nupe in Nigeria, even, even in the Tutsi of, of Rwanda and Burundi. Dr. Tamale says that before colonialism, there's proof of fluid gender identity and sexualities. So the sentiments expressed by our Facebook commenters haven't always been the dominant attitude. Now, the intolerance, uh, even criminalization of gender fluidity um, can clearly be traced to the coming of foreigners. Arabs and Europeans to, to the continent. Gender binaries or fitting everyone in one of two neat little boxes, boxes marked male or female or marked masculine and feminine, made it easier for the, the oppressive system of patriarchy and capitalism to operate. Today, homosexuality is criminalized in 32 of the 54 countries on the African continent including Kenya, where we are recording this episode. The Kenyan Penal Code criminalizes same-sex relations with a jail term of up to 14 years. The jail term is rarely enforced, but the law emboldens the homophobes on the street, in the police, and in power. For years, LGBT activists have lobbied to have this section of the law repealed. And this year, they're closer than ever. In the petition filed, a group argues that the state should not regulate matters of intimacy or sexual orientation, but the state through the attorney general... On May 24th, the Kenyan High Court will rule on repealing Section 162A and C of the Kenyan Penal Code, which says... 
any person who has carnal knowledge or permits a male person to have carnal knowledge of him or her against the order of nature is guilty of a felony. Basically, when they say carnal knowledge, they mean sex. And against the order of nature means literally any sex that isn't penis and vagina procreative sex. The Kenyan court is also going to rule on repealing section 165. Any male person, whether in public or private, commits an act of gross indecency with another male person or procures another male person to commit an act of gross indecency with him or attempts to procure the commission of any such act by any male person with himself or another male person, whether in public or private, is guilty of a felony. Yeah. This clause is important because it means that not only can you be arrested for having sex with someone of the same sex, but also for simply trying to. So hitting on somebody is a felony, enough to land you in prison. These laws have been part of the Kenyan Penal Code since 1897, while Kenya was under the rule of the British Empire. And to understand why, we're going to have to start in the cold-ass north, England. Prior to 1533 in England, the Catholic Church was responsible for meting out punishment for something they called acts of buggery. Acts of buggery were defined as anal sex, whether with a man or a woman, as well as bestiality. Now in 1533, King Henry VIII was at war with the Catholic Church. He wanted to get divorced from his first wife, Catherine, and marry his already pregnant girlfriend, Anne Boleyn. But the Catholic Church would not allow the divorce. So Henry decided he would break from the Catholic Church and make England Protestant and get his divorce and marry Anne. He then passed the Buggery Act, which was the first time that the Parliament of England took on the responsibility of punishing people who they believed had committed this offense against God and man. And this crime was punishable by death. According to the scholars of the law, Henry was less interested in legislating against homosexuality or people committing buggery, but was using the law as a political tool to crush enemies who supported the Catholic Church. Remember, he's trying to get his divorce. So if you were on the wrong side of Henry, you would have to confess to buggery, having anal sex or sex with an animal. The government would then seize all of your property and wealth, and then you could be executed. It wasn't just a law, it was a weapon. Later that century, toward the end of the 1500s, England started empire building by brutally enslaving and subjugating people, planting flags, forcing people to speak their language, taking land that wasn't theirs, extracting resources, and generally making themselves wealthy. What they also did was bring their laws. Yes. Well, so this is sort of, um, I guess, uh, the puritanical Victorian social moral, right, for, for Britain at the time. That's Nze Han, an associate professor at the University of Hong Kong. He co-authored a book about British colonialism and the criminalization of homosexuality around the world. And they were worried that the, 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 the soldiers or the colonial officers that who went to this exotic and overly erotic, sexualized orient, right? I mean, at the beginning, they were talking about India. Um, so that's why they were worried that, um, you know, those uh, good people would be turned bad. And so that's why um, they introduced this sort of like uh, strict sort of code to regulate um, the sexual behaviors of those colonial officers and soldiers. So initially, these penal codes weren't even about regulating the sexualities of the people the British were colonizing. 
Britain was worried about their own soldiers and colonists who might turn to each other for comfort on those long journeys. So when the British wrote the Indian Penal Code, they included a clause to criminalize homosexuality. And it was included in all colonial penal codes thereafter, including Kenya and many other African countries. The garden party at Government House was an informal farewell to British rule in Kenya. Kenya won independence from Britain in 1963. No longer under British rule, Kenya drafted its own constitution and became a republic. At the Uhuru Stadium, the Articles of Independence were handed by the Duke to the country's Prime Minister. But what stayed the same? The penal codes that criminalize homosexuality. Since then, these laws have had an enormous impact on the lives of lesbian, gay, bisexual, gender nonconforming, transgender, and intersex Kenyans, as well as their loved ones. People have been evicted from their homes, lost their jobs, had their children taken away, been blackmailed and harassed by police. In 2010, Kenya adopted a new constitution. Civil society groups and queer activists hoped that this more liberal constitution would lead to a lasting change. Because of this clause. The state shall not discriminate directly or indirectly against any person on any ground, including race, sex, pregnancy, marital status, health status, ethnic or social origin, color, age, disability, religion, conscience, belief, culture, dress, language or birth. That clause created an opportunity for LGBT activists to take the Kenyan government to court and challenge the penal code. The argument being that this penal code was now unconstitutional as it discriminated directly against LGBT people. So in 2016, two court cases were filed challenging sections 162A and C and 165 of the Kenyan penal code on the grounds that it was now unconstitutional. In 2017, these two cases were merged into one. The filing has sparked countrywide debate and battle lines have been drawn. On the one side are LGBT activists and allies, and on the other side, the Kenyan government and supporters of the law like this gentleman. So the Western countries that have been engaging us in Africa for the last 10, 15 years have made it part of their policy to ensure that the rest of the world can also take up the same culture and standards that they have of allowing the fullest freedom to people to do in their bedroom, outside their bedroom, whatever they want to do. Charles Kanjama is speaking at an open forum organized by the Kenyan Christian Professionals Forum, where a key topic of discussion was the advancement of the LGBTQ agenda. With the gay movement, they actually hold demonstrations. They call them gay pride where they march, they have floats, and all this is to explain that I'm gay and I'm proud of it. So it's almost as if the sexuality of same-sex behavior cannot be restrained even within the bedroom, even if you wanted to. They, they feel the urge or the need to speak out about it to... We Africans who are homosexuals today are just as African as any other African. You know, it's, it's, it's been it repeated so many times that the lie is becoming to sound like a truth. 
what is uh, foreign, what is Western, is the laws that we got. Eric Katari is a Kenyan lawyer, PhD student at Harvard Law School, and a gay man. He is the first of 17 petitioners in the case to challenge the legality of sections 162A and C and 165 of the Kenyan Penal Code. I was learning the law. I was learning uh, how to defend the rule of law. And here is a law saying that because of what I <laughs> innately am, I should be jailed for 14 years. And then getting to serve clients who suffered violence, reporting these cases to the police, clients who suffered blackmail, clients who suffered like, out, you can see it's an injustice at the face of it. You go tell the police this person has, was beaten up, this person was evicted. Why? Because of their sexual orientation. The police do nothing. Seeing your client feel defeated in the legal process, in accessing justice, and you're a lawyer, and you know where the problem is, where, where the cog is blocking the flow, you do something about it. So Eric, along with a coalition of organizations, including the National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, the Gay and Lesbian Coalition of Kenya, and the Nyanza Rift Valley and Western Kenya Network, filed petitions to challenge the penal code. The same penal code that had been passed down from King Henry VIII in the 1530s, the British colonization of India in the 19th century, Kenyan independence in the 1960s, and Kenyan constitutional reform in 2010. This law has haunted and harassed the Commonwealth for centuries. And finally, this year in Kenya, things might just change. After two years in court on May 24th, 2019, the High Court is expected to make its ruling. So what do you think will happen if you win? When homosexuality is decriminalized in Kenya, there will be more of opportunities for homosexuals, for LGBT Kenyans generally, to, to take chances in the civic commons. But the greatest call uh, for me is the gender well-being and a sense of people knowing that their society, their country values them and doesn't see them as criminals. We promised each other an open and democratic society and we owe it to ourselves to give that to each other. We here at the Afroqueer Podcast will be in court on Friday, May 24th, awaiting the judgment. And we will continue to update this story. This story was reported and produced by me, Sally Chum, Ida Halinambi, May Francis, and Maimuna Jallo. Rachel Wamoto runs our social media. Special thanks to Sebiala Nature Raymond and Aaron Mboa for their voice acting skills. This podcast is a production of None on Record, supported by Google and PRX. Our theme song is Power by Maya and the Big Sky. We are still on season break, reporting and producing episodes for season two. In the meantime, follow Afroqueer Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, and on our website, www.afroqueerpodcast.com. I'm Sally Chum. Thanks for listening. 